Welcome back to Spirituality and Business Leadership Podcast, aka the Mac and Wooly Show. I am Jennifer Wooly, your host for this episode, and today I'm talking with Chip Adams. So switching gears a little bit, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you've engaged or considered spirituality in business um, through your career. <laughs> Do you want to hear the good, the bad, or the ugly? All of the above. <laughs> okay, so um, you, you had mentioned that about the uh, about business, and you know, my first reflection and learning for me is that you know, you asked, you know, is there spirituality? How does spirituality fit into business? And to me, business is just a platform of people engaged in commerce. It's no different than a platform of people engaged in in um, uh, sports in um, in music, uh, a faculty at a university. It is the, it's just people. And the whole concept to me of spirituality is not, does it fit in? It is, do people inside, it's a personal thing. So how do we make that more understandable and acceptable in an age of contempt mm. and self that we live in today? Um, so in my career, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've run the gamut when I was younger. So going back to the story, um, I was pretty good at what I did. And I've, obviously, I was pretty ambitious to do some good things. And I was, generally speaking, a good person. But Jennifer, when push came to shove, even with the greatest smile on my face, I'm thinking, here's what I need mm -hmm. from that situation or that person. And I can remember one story. I remember we bought a reading company. I love reading. I love teaching kids. And I created this thing. And it was turned out to be really big. And I wanted now to bring a CEO in. And the former head of the Barbie division of Mattel, Jean McKenzie, who was awesome. And she really built Barbie. And she loved education. She loved young people. But she lived in L.A. And we were up here. She had a child, five-year-old, Audrey. And uh, she was married and had a five-year-old. I said, she's got, you got to be here. And she goes, well, how? I said, well, you know, I don't know, but you know, and I made sure that whatever she needed to be in San Francisco five days a week to run the company, she got it. She accepted. What I didn't think about was that good for Jean. Mm. And, uh, and did I bring my spirituality? Did I walk in her shoes? I could convince Jean that this was going to be an amazingly great journey together. Right. And it was, but I didn't think about the effect at home. And two years into it, she was, she was miserable. And I could understand misery. I, I, we were, you know, I, was, I had pattern recognition. <laughs> um, but I actually, we then moved the company to Los Angeles. And it unwound a lot of stuff. But the original decision, Gene, come. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And she trusted me and she did. Great relationship with her daughter today. But it was a very difficult. It told me something about myself. Did I really care about Gene or did I really care about Gene being part of what I was doing? And I would say that I, that would not be a great example of spirituality. It happens a lot of times, but it it happened to me. Um, so that's, I think that's a good example of where I wasn't living a spiritually driven hunger to grow my inside. But it's fascinating because now you can sit back and think, 
Okay. Now, having gone through part of my journey. Right. Considering, you know, what I, what, what I stand for now, I would approach that differently. Now, I learned from it, obviously, and you're not the same person that you were when that happened. I think that's a great thing. You sound just like Father McCabot. Okie dokie. You do. No, you see, because he's what, he taught me something that I didn't know because I felt, I felt, um, I felt a lot of guilt and sadness about the original decision. Like you didn't do like, why did I do that? And he said, you did the best you could with who you were and the gifts you were aware of at the time. And that's, again, being sort of, again, I use the Christian tradition, even though it's more about not the religion, it's about the principles, feeling forgiven Mm -hmm. and love despite mistakes does open you up to look forward without the guilt of the past. The lessons, yes, but not the guilt. And I got there. Gene's a great friend of mine and uh, just very, very high loyalty and connection with our families. Uh, it, But you're right. But the, the question is, what do you do differently? Mm-hmm. One of the things I did do better when I'm back at Under Armour, and there was a, a head of one of our biggest divisions, and I I would walk by his office, his door was always shut. And I asked, talked with some of his folks, and they said, well, we don't see, we don't see him very often. Something was up. So uh, this was going on, and they weren't performing all that well, that they should have been better. And I brought him in one night and said, hey, talk to me. Why? What's wrong? Well, your door's shut all the time. Yeah. Well, John, help me. What is, what's, what's up? He said, I'm doing fine. He said, what are you thinking about when you drive home? He said, oh, well, I think about it. I have this foundation that I'm part of that helps young uh, orphan kids in Korea, South Korea. I said, John, how is your wife feeling? He said, look, Chip, this ain't easy. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm here because I need to vest my equity to get to this place. And and different than before, I said, what if we could vest your equity all today? And you could go do that vision that you have for yourself and your family. He said, you can't do that. And, you know, it turns out in that situation... I thought of it. I said, John, you can't be part of a team that you don't want to play the game, but you can be part of the other team if we can work it out. Mm -hmm. And it was walking in John's shoes, which I didn't do with Gene, but this time, you know, 10 years, 15 years later, it was a different thought that went into my head, maybe went into my heart, and it was a different outcome for a person that I actually cared more about him than I did. I had to pick up all his responsibilities when he left, but that was a tiny price to pay. I actually liked doing it, but it was his, that outcome said, well, there's, there are better ways and you're, you're, I'm capable of doing that. And so I think this thing about business is that it gets a bad rap because it's all about money and there's the abuses are all over the newspapers, like everything else. And, and there's so many great examples of people on this spiritual journey in business that you don't hear about. And one of the things we do with our classes, we ask them to identify them, them to evaluate them, then to analyze them. And there are dozens and dozens of their top companies. John Donahoe at Nike is an embodiment of everything we've talked about. He talks about investing in his spiritual, emotional, 
and mental health so he can bring his best to each day. And he has an intentionality of doing that. And he may be the most successful CEO in America today, but he's only, that's a byproduct of the character he brings each day. Perfect? No, but he's as good as I've seen, but there are so many women and men that are like that. I think that spirituality has to exist in the leader that inspires other people, not that we expect it across the entire platform like any other platform. But I think business is a great opportunity to grow people, which is into into leaders of spirituality and character. It's interesting that you you talk about examples of leaders who are in those positions and your own struggle with, um, you know, your character and your in your own spiritual journey. Uh, and one of the things that I, I like to point out is every business is made up of people. Right. And every person is on their own spiritual journey at very different places. But being able to recognize that, I think, is actually um, healthier than suppressing it. And I don't know if, if you see more leaders ignoring it or suppressing it, or you see more leaders trying to embrace it. Or not embrace it, but acknowledge it, maybe? Well, I think there's a, you said it, there is a hunger in a world of contempt to not fall into that way of living at other people's emotional expense. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a pendulum. I think the awareness is much higher today in the companies that I'm familiar with. And I'm not, this is not a commercial for the companies. There's all so much to do, but, but the idea that mental health matters, that uh, equality matters, that investment in all stakeholders matters. And it's, there are some of the major banks are, are reorganizing themselves around what we just talked about. Some of them are not. Yeah. I will tell you, young people are flocking to companies that have a mission. There is an idealism to youth going back 3,000 years that Socrates talked about. And it doesn't mean it's good or bad, but there is an idealism. And, you know, our youth are changing the paradigm. When, when thousands of them leave a big company, that big company has got to think about how they are going to keep a culture that holds on to their best people. And that's the economics of, of that's driving this is how do you create a purpose? I don't want to say purpose-driven. It sounds so trite. But how do you create a company culture with a mission that creates a bond more than a paycheck. Mm -hmm. I'll give you the best example, Jennifer, that I know in business in my career is the culture of contempt, the culture of superiority, the culture of diminishment that was Microsoft. It was Microsoft under Gates. It was Microsoft under Balmer. They're two good people. They weren't very good leaders. You were in the top 10% of the world when you joined, and the next day you were in the bottom 10% of the people at Microsoft. That was what people talked about. Then wow. Satya comes in. It's the fastest turnaround of any culture that anybody in my world knows is he created a culture of care, and he did it in about three years. It takes Most companies 
don't survive. You look at Microsoft market cap seven, eight years ago when Balmer left, it was seven years ago, and look at it today. It's a reflection of the commitment people have to the mission of Microsoft, not to the money they make there. Right. And so I see these examples, say, let's try to be more like them mm -hmm. and use the other examples to learn what happens when you don't without judgment. That's a good point. Keep learning. And I, I think the, the cornerstone of culture that you just articulated um, comes back to that mission, but also f figuring out what makes meaning for the employees. And that's different for each organization. No question. But really understanding, especially today, our current work situation, our current economics, what is meaningful for our workers? Again, that you you said that as better as better than most people say. No, I'm serious. That that is the question. People show up for a paycheck, they stay for meaning, and yep, you know agree. Zoom and the whole COVID situation has really been a challenge to maintain meaning when you haven't seen a human being. You're just, and it's so easy to go from a computer, I mean, you're on your computer, it's so easy to go from Google to Facebook and not even know the difference. Right. But it also is challenging us even more today. I think it's wonderful. I think there's wonderful aspects of a very yeah. difficult situation. How do you create meaning? It's a great question where everybody is working on that. Right. And there's an economic driver, which usually economics is important. Somehow, in some way, you know. I suppose. Go figure. <laughs> but if the economics of doing things with meaning are better than the economics of doing things selfishly, guess where people are going to go? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, doesn't mean it's safe. I will tell you. Uh, it's, it's easy for Salesforce has created a culture of a lot of meaning. Perfect? No. But it's really a culture of meaning. Target mm -hmm. would like to create the same culture and has a lot of it. But right. Salesforce is making 60% margins and Target is squeezing by on 10. They can't invest as much, right. but they have the same intention. Right. So, you know, how do you, you know, how does Target continue this great vision without the resources that other people have? It's still they have the same intention. Right. And we got to yeah. honor that too. Mm hmm. So um, I'm very hopeful. I really, I'm hopeful because I'm hopeful in this next, I'm hopeful these young people. The young people are not bound by geography. They're not even bound by paychecks. Right. Not everybody. They are really bound earlier, whatever meaning means to young people and different kinds of people and different industries, they're voting with their feet that they want a place they're proud of. They want a place that makes them feel good. And... I think that that is going to help us change the landscape of business that we're in. I like it. I think there's a lot of opportunities. That's really cool. I like the way you just said that. Well, I uh, I, I really believe it, and I uh, I do. I, I I love the energy and the passion and the awareness of our young people, and and. It's just so fun to be part of their journey and maybe being useful in it, but but being part of it yeah. as they really work in their own little groups to change the way 
they live, they change the way they get to work, they change the way they they think about their responsibilities. Um, you know, any again, anything we can do to contribute to what they're doing, uh, to me is is pretty meaningful. So nice. I guess the the last question that I thought we could probably end on would be, um, what words of wisdom do you have for listeners struggling with their own path? <sighs> Uh-oh. I don't have any words of wisdom, Jennifer. I don't call I have I have things I'm in the middle of. I have I have things that I observations I have. I I have things that have been helpful to me. And um and sharing those with you is sharing them with each other is fun. I'd probably ask you the same question at the end of this, but you know, this whole spiritual journey sounds so ambiguous, amorphous, and with grand and without a clear benefit at the end. Mm -hmm. But our thoughts guide our choices and our choices guide our actions, whether we believe that or ignore it. And so the idea of this spiritual journey to me is a must have as it is to many of the folks that have been around the country and in their positions who are on the same journey. How do you get started? We talked about it. It's a, you know, it took me many years of thinking I was one thing and realizing I wasn't to get started, but I didn't even know what to do then. You know, the first thing I say is, is to be kind to yourself, be gentle yourself. I was not gentle. What was the impact of not being gentle and having high standards for what I thought I should be? ignoring, living the lies, not acknowledging where I was. Right. And you can't, you can't be honest with yourself unless you're gentle. I, I had to learn that. My learning, I had to be gentle with myself to be honest with myself. Um, and that allowed, open this gate to the whole idea of fearless self-awareness because the worst of who I am was loved by the people closest to me because they knew it already anyway. Yep. And so having this awareness of self, of me, who was I really? And what was I struggling with? They're saying, wow, that's cool. I, I'm struggling with the same thing. And you get the bond of the life challenges as opposed to the facade we share, you know, at tailgates. It perfect. And, you know, I call it the Christmas card version of life. Um, the... The third is, it is a journey, a uh, mountain, Bill calls it a mountain with no top, uh, a journey with no end. It is best not done alone. Mm. Struggling, by the way, because things don't work. And it's better when you're sharing things that don't work in your practice, yep. the things you choose to do, or the outcomes to say, what else? And that sharing can be with your Friends who also have a hunger to grow, but it also is, to me, my belief and my experience has been, it's nice to have somebody a little bit older, wiser, and invested more in your welfare than your friendship. Mm -hmm. That they really want you to be better, not just want you to be happier. And I think that this sharing with self, with vulnerability, with your trusted peers, whatever that is to you. And somebody a little bit older, if you can find that or go 
go, there are ways to find that. We could talk about that. But I think that, you know, if I come back and say, look, you know, the, the forgiveness of self and the kindness to self, the self-awareness, the, the sharing with peers and trusted others, um, is, is sort of that, I think that's how the, the journey has to start. And then the other one is what, uh, Admiral Olson said, tenacity, never, ever give up the journey. It's a practice. There's no failure and there's no success. It's we're practicing. Spirituality is a practice. And you might stumble. You might have great days. It's a journey. No, you are stumbling <laughs> and be comfortable. I have to be comfortable because I stumble every day. It's like the Paul. I said I was going to do it. I really, really wanted to do it. At the end of the day, I go, why didn't I do it? But that's part of the journey is you got to, I say, okay, tomorrow's another day. And it's easy when I have, you know, I have uh, Charles and I have Bill and I have F and I have Nancy and I had Father McKevitt. When you have people around that are sharing that, you can say and be anything and you're still loved. And I think that's a big part of how do we bring that kind of community together so that people have, have companions on that journey. I think doing, as I said. Sharing is much better than doing it alone. So you said that we could talk about how to find someone to help you on your journey. What advice do you have? It's probably, that's probably one of those workbook things where you have to, you know, open up and mm-hmm. go on a whiteboard and talk to people specifically because I could give you general, general ideas. But the big picture ideas is it takes time and you're going to fail. You got to realize that. I mean, I'm going to tell you, when I was 27 or 28 or 30 and looking for a therapist, it took me a year and a half because I gave up because the first three, eh, you know, wasn't that great. But I needed somebody I trusted to say, I'm not doing so good. Um, It takes time. Um, I tried to start a men's group at my church. I thought that would do it. But I I was so ill-equipped to start a men's group, but everybody wanted to be in the men's group with me. So we had a men's group. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I tried. Mm -hmm. Okay, I tried. I did join F. Martin, who's part of our center. He's one founder. He was he was advisor to Gates and Jobs back in the day, but he's also, I think, probably the largest supporter of spiritual thinking in America. And he's right here and he does men's groups that weren't beyond and I finally found F and Patty. And you know, they're uh, we office together. We have libraries that they built that I contribute a tiny bit to, but they contribute mightily. Um that can come through organizations. It can come through church. Santa Clara. I didn't know that we shared an interest in this journey until we talked. Yeah, right, but right. whether it's colleges, um, whether it's churches, and whether you belong or not doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I could do this at. I could do this at a a temple. So I could eat. I, I know two or three young friends of mine that I would be happy to share their journey. You could do it at a. A Christian church that has groups, but you'd have to say, does it really fit me? It's yeah. not the religion. It's the people inside that mm-hmm. you want to, you're trying to find people to identify with. So how do you find those pockets? Mm-hmm. There are probably pockets in different companies that have stuff like this. Right. Right. That's true. Um, believe it or not, Tumblr, Match.com are coming up with a whole different paradigm for their, you know, for their, uh, quote, dating apps. Really? Friends. It's all about friends. You move to a new town, 
uh, and you you can put in a profile and you get matched up with friends to go have coffee with. One of them could be the spiritual journey. Easy. Yeah. So there are ways to be creative to think about how do you match up with people like you. And so I think, again, I would rather take that down to a more granular yeah. level with a group of people. Uh, because, but there, I'm gonna, my point is there is hope. There is hope. And you may find that you don't click with somebody, but that doesn't mean that somebody else won't work out. Correct. It is, you gotta have to, you gotta have the, we call, I call it tenacity. You've gotta have, stick with it. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you don't stick with it, don't beat yourself up. You'll come back to it. Mm-hmm. If it's important enough to you, you'll come back to it. So again, the idea is there's no shoulds in the spiritual journey. I keep telling people, don't shit all over yourself. <laughs> well, it was part of our, today is um, uh, Wednesday, it was our men's group, and that was the the entire thing after reading something was, you can't have shoulds. You shoulds have to bad. have the, you, you have to like want something, and then you're going to, you're going to, then you're going to go do it. If I have to practice, I'm not going to be very good. Right. If I want to practice, I'm going to be really good. Yep. So true. Thanks for listening. This is Jennifer Woolley. Catch you next time on the SBL podcast. Bye.